long, long time ago, there were, were some missionaries, part of something called the Moravian Missionary Movement. And these two young men in particular had a desire to go out and to serve the Lord on the mission field. And they, they found out about this island where there were thousands of slaves, but the slave owner, the, the guy that owned the island and the slaves, said that the, he hated God, he hated Christ, he hated the Gospel message, and nobody would ever hear that message there. And so these two young men, they, they learned of this island... And so what did they do? They sold themselves into slavery so that they could get on this island and get the Gospel message, the message of our Lord, to these slaves. And so the little bit of money that they got for selling themselves, they paid their ship fare to get there. So as they were sailing off, their families were standing on the shore crying in disbelief, not really understanding why they would do this. And the last thing they were heard saying as they sailed off was, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. And that's my heart today, that our Lord would receive the reward for his suffering. He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to be worshipped and honored for what he has done for coming to this earth and living the life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserved, and then rising again from the grave on the third day, victorious over the grave, victorious over death, over sin, over Satan. Amen? Amen. And He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to receive the reward for His suffering. And so I pray that today in this service, Jesus will be glorified. I want to preach Christ. I want to preach the resurrection Ultimately, I want to honor Him. But then also we'll consider what that has to do with us, why that is such good news for us. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we love You, and You are worthy. You are worthy to receive the reward for Your suffering. And so I pray that You would move mightily in this room today as we work our way through Luke chapter 24 as we consider Your Scriptures. Oh Lord, I pray that You would bring them to life by Your Spirit and that You would meet with us here in this room. That You would encourage the brokenhearted. That You would reveal Yourself to us in a, a greater way. That You would teach us, Lord, that we would hear from You afresh and that we would be stirred up. And if there are people in here today who don't know You, and I'm sure that there are, I pray that today, Lord, they would put their trust in You and that they would come to know You in a saving way, in a loving way. And we commit this service to You in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Alright, well I titled today's message, Because He Lives. And so I love that song that Miranda just sang. That was so perfect. I didn't even know she was going to sing that. And she closed with that, Because He Lives. And, and that is the glorious thing about the Christian faith. Really the bedrock, the foundation of the Christian faith is the resurrection, that our Lord Jesus rose again from the grave. And I'll, I'll explain that as we go. But I wanted to start with just a few Scriptures that carry this theme of the living God because Jesus lives. Why that is relevant to us. John 14.19 Jesus said, A little while longer and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me because I live, you will live also. You understand, when Jesus died and He rose again from the grave, we have a living Lord. We have a living Savior. This is not religion. You may have heard this before. This is relationship. We have a walk. We have a relationship. We have a friendship with the living Christ. 
because He is alive reigning from heaven, we are alive too. Amen? Amen. In Acts chapter 14, Paul was talking to, to pagan worshipers, uh, pagan idolatrous worshipers. And they would worship these little statues and idols and little figurines that they carved with their own hands from wood or they fashioned from gold and they would give them a name and they would assign to it kind of what this represents and it was a dead thing. It was not living. And Paul said, turn away from these useless things. Turn away from these dead things. Turn to the true and the living God. We worship, we serve, we love a living God. He is not dead, He is alive. And Peter said in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. The hope that we have, the confident expectation that we have in this life and the life to come is because Jesus lives, because He conquered the grave, because He rose again from the dead. And then lastly, the Word of God is living. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is living. This is not some dead ancient book these words are life and they are truth because our Lord lives and because this is His very Word. And His Word is living and it is powerful and it is sharp. And that's why we come before His Word today to hear from Him. So with that, we are looking at the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24. So verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Alright. So we're told that it was on the first day of the week. The first day of the week that they came to the grave and it was empty. Now this was Sunday. Traditionally, they always worshipped the Lord on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. Right, But there was a shift that happened from this point moving forward. I'll read a quote to you from a guy named Leefield. He says, This became the day of Christian worship. And the change from the traditional and biblical Sabbath is in itself a strong evidence of the resurrection because it shows the strength of the disciples' conviction about what happened on that day. So the very fact that here we are now worshiping on this day is an evidence to the resurrection itself. The early believers had such a conviction about that that the whole day of worship shifted from Saturday to Sunday. And the fact that we're meeting today all these, these thousands of years later is a, a testimony to that very thing. So on the first day of the week, they came and the stone was rolled away. Now, 
Matthew gives us a good bit more detail about what's going on here when they come to the, the tomb. All Luke tells us is that they came and the stone was rolled away. And so I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. So it says, On the next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So we're told that they actually went and got permission. The religious leaders got permission from Pilate to set Roman guards in front of the tomb, the, the tomb itself, the stone, to seal it just to be certain that nothing would happen to that body because even they knew even the religious leader said this guy was saying that he was going to rise again on the third day. It's interesting to me, the disciples never seemed to get this, but the, the enemies of Jesus knew, and so they were going to do everything in their power to try to stop this from happening, right? So Pilate gives them permission. Well, Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear because of him, and they became like dead men. So that's how the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away by angels. The guards were there. They were terrified by this. And they, they, they cut and ran. And... We're told later that uh, they went back and told the religious leaders what happened, and they were as good as dead now. They let the body was gone. I mean, we we know Jesus rose again from the grave, and he was out of there. But now they had to pay pay for that. They were accountable to their superiors for the empty tomb that they were set to guard. So the religious leaders said, "Look, we'll pay you to just say that the body was stolen." I mean, these guys were as good as dead anyway, so this was really their only hope. So the religious leader said, don't worry about that. We'll go talk to Pilate. We'll set all this stuff straight. You just say that the body was stolen. So they were still conspiring, even after Jesus rose again, to try to stop this, but they couldn't stop it. It was unstoppable. The message of the resurrection. The Lord could not be stopped. He would not be stopped by death, and He certainly wouldn't be stopped by the likes of the Pharisees or the Roman guards. Amen? Alright, well, the women saw this. The women were the first ones there to see this, so they're going to go back and they're going to report to the rest what they have seen. So verse 9 in Luke, they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes laying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So when the ladies get back to the, the rest of the disciples, they tell them what has happened. They, they came to the tomb. The stone was uh, rolled away. Jesus was gone. And they didn't believe the women. It said that it was as if they were idle tales that they were telling. But Peter was stoked. 
Peter was thrilled. He jumped up and he took off running. And we're told in John chapter 20 that he and both John went together. And it's kind of funny the way it words it. John beat him, basically. He was a lot younger. And he beat him to the tomb. And then John stood outside the tomb looking in and Peter dashed right into the tomb and saw. And you can just feel the emotion because you'll remember that Peter had just denied the Lord. The very thing that he said he would not do he swore on it, said even if he had to die with the Lord, he would. And then what did he do? He denied knowing the Lord. And then the Lord, as you know, was taken off and crucified and died. And now the tomb is empty. And he caught word that the ladies went and there was nothing there. And Peter bolts for it. And he gets in there and he finds the grave cloths lying there neatly. So now the story shifts. And Luke, verse 13 we're going to see these two disciples. These are not of the original twelve, but this is the story commonly referred to as the the road to Emmaus. And we're going to see an appearance of Christ now, post-resurrection. So verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. And He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So we're told now that there are two disciples here walking to Emmaus. We don't know exactly where this is, but we think that it's about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And we're told the name of one of them is uh, Cleopas. Uh, but this is not the original twelve disciples when you, when you hear that. And Jesus appears, but they don't know that it's Jesus. For some reason, they can't recognize Him. And this is kind of interesting. This is something that we notice post-resurrection with Jesus. He functions a little differently. He just appears. He disappears. He shows up. People can't recognize Him at first. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to note after Jesus raises from the dead, we see Him functioning a little differently than He did beforehand. So we're told it was that same day. This is still the first day of the week. This is still Sunday. Jesus drew near. Their eyes were, were restrained. And He basically says, well, what are you guys talking about? What conversation is this? So they're going to go on and they're going to explain to Jesus what's been, what's been happening. So verse 18 Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. So Jesus is like, so what are you guys talking about? What's going on? They're like, have you not heard? And he's like, what? And basically, modern day vernacular, they ask him, have you been living under a rock? You know, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? So they, they go on to explain that Jesus came and he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and that he had been, uh, crucified and, and so on and so forth. Um, Verse 21 says, But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, today the third day since today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they're kind of recounting in a very general way all the things that had taken place in the last several days leading up to the empty tomb and the reports that had made it back to the disciples. So they were talking about Jesus and their hopes that He would be the one who would restore Israel, restore their nation to glory. Well, Jesus is going to speak now and He's going to correct their perspective. So verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And He went in to stay with them. So Jesus went on to explain to them that it was necessary from the Old Testament that the Christ should suffer and that He should rise again from the dead. And He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, ought not the Christ to have suffered? Now, let's just give these guys some slack here because we have the benefit of hindsight. We, we, have, we know the story so well. We have the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, and we recognize that the Lord, the Messiah, the One who was foretold in the Old Testament, would come twice. We get that now. He would come once as the suffering servant. The One who would come to die for the sins of the world. The One who would come to save people and redeem them, make them right before God, but that He would also return that Jesus would return in glory and that He would come as the conquering King, the One who would judge, the One who would come with a sword, with a rod of iron. And so those are two totally different events, but they didn't know that, and they were greatly confused. And so when Jesus came and then was crucified, even though He had been telling them this was going to happen, they just didn't seem to get it. They said, you know, we really thought this guy was the One. We thought He was going to come and restore us and He was going to be the Redeemer of Israel and... Jesus says, oh, you foolish ones, slow to believe. Don't you understand? It was written, this had to happen. And then he begins to expound through the Old Testament how the Old Testament spoke of him. And so there's a, a quote here from Guzik. I want to read this to you. This is for, for my Bible students in here. I think you'll really dig this. So he told them that the Messiah was the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised. That's Genesis chapter 3 the blessing of Abraham to all the nations, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the man who wrestled uh, with Jacob, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the voice from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, the son of David who was a king greater than David, the suffering Savior of Psalm 22, the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23, 
the wisdom of Proverbs, the Savior described in the prophets, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. That's pretty spectacular. Truly, the Scriptures testified of Christ from beginning to end. And that is one of the beautiful things about the Word of God, how it does that so masterfully, how it comes together. And truly, the Scriptures from old to new testify of the Christ. And as Jesus walked on the road with these disciples, having no idea who He was, He explained to them how the the Scriptures had said of old that the Messiah must come, must suffer and die, and He would rise again. So, these guys were so moved by this. They got to the destination. Jesus was going to keep going. They said, man, you've got to stay with us tonight. Come on, it's already, it's already nighttime. It's already getting late. Just stay with us. They didn't know who He was, but they had been so powerfully moved, they, they begged for Him to stay. So, verse 30. Now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, that He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. And He vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us on the road? And while He opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. So Jesus did. He honored their request. He came in with them. They had dinner. We're told that Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He gave it to them. And then they recognized who He was. And then He vanished out of their sight. That's very mysterious to us. We don't know exactly what that's all about, except somehow He was revealed. I don't know if they saw the nail scars in His hands, because we know that He still bears the marks of the cross and something perhaps significant with the bread. This is strikingly similar to the Last Supper account when Jesus broke the bread and gave it to His disciples and said, here, take this. This represents My body which will be broken for you. And He took the wine, the cup, and He gave it to them and said, take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. This is My blood of the new covenant. And so somehow all of this comes together and they recognize this is the Lord that the very one they've been talking to this whole time on the road, this is the Christ. Truly, He has risen again. And then as soon as they figure this out, He vanishes. Man, that's messed up. I would be so upset. And I mean, thrilled and excited, and then He's gone. And again, like I said, we see Jesus doing things that we had not seen Him do before. And we'll talk uh, more about that in a second. But this would be one of those things. And so these guys are thrilled. They run. They go back now. They go back the way they came, back to Jerusalem. They tell the disciples what had happened. And now everybody's super excited. And it's really being confirmed all over the place. The grave is empty and people are now starting to see the Lord with various appearances. What I love here is he says, one of the disciples said to the other, did not our hearts burn? when He opened the Scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn within us? I love that phrase. I know what they're talking about. Has your heart ever burned within you when the Lord was speaking to you? When the Lord was calling your name? When the Lord was ministering to you in His Word? When you heard the Word being preached? 
and you knew it. And I, I am certain that it's happening right now in this room. There are people in here right now you know you need the Lord. And as you hear the Gospel being preached and the invitation is being given, your heart is burning within you because the Lord is drawing you. The Lord is speaking to you. You know that you need Him. You know that you need a Savior. You know that you need this living hope because what you've been doing has not been working. Can we just agree on that one thing? And that you know that there is something more in this life than this. There is more to living than dying. There is more to a life than just surviving. There is something so much more, so much better, and it's the Lord. The very reason for which you were created. The Lord came to, to die for your sins, for my sins, to make us right before God. And He rose from the grave demonstrating that He is exactly who He said He was. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But their hearts were burning when the Lord was opening up the Scriptures to them. So I want to plead with you today. There are a lot of visitors in this room. This is Easter Sunday. That's to be expected. We're so glad that you're here. But don't walk out of this place today the same as when you came in. Put your trust in the Lord. The Lord is calling you to Himself. Repent. Turn. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. Today. Today. If you come to church once a year, you are missing out. You are missing out. One of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given us is His church. His, the body of believers. Our brothers and sisters. Our friends in Christ. And if you come once a year, you are, you are really cheating yourself of one of the greatest blessings that God has given us. And I would plead with you, don't do that. Be, be a part of our family. Put your trust in Christ. Alright, verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Handle Me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. But while they, they still did not believe for joy and marveled, He said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and He took it and He ate in their presence. So we see the same account in John chapter 20. And we know that they're there, and the door is closed, locked, and it seems that they turn around and Jesus is just standing in their midst. And they're terrified. They're frightened. And He says, Peace be unto you. Peace to you. And uh, we're told in John 20 that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is amazing. They don't, they don't know what to think. They're terrified. And He says, Don't be afraid. It's Me. And they thought it was a spirit. And He says, Look. Look at My hands. I am flesh and bone. They saw the scars. He even went so far as to say, Man, I'm hungry. You got something to eat in here? I love Jesus, man. That's what I'm talking about. You know? 
I mean, he went out of his way to reason with him and say, look, guys, it is me. You know, I came and I came, flesh and blood, died on a cross. I rose again bodily. He rose again bodily from the grave. This is the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Himself, flesh and bone. And He reveals Himself to them as such. Well, verse 44, Then He said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning Me. And He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things." So Jesus says, remember guys, I told you this. And remember, He told them multiple times. Told him like three times on the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem before he was crucified that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be mocked, he was going to be scourged, he was going to be crucified, but that he would rise again on the third day. He told it over and over, and they just didn't seem to get it. And now it happened, and he says, Remember, guys, I told you that this was going to happen, that it was necessary. And then it says that he opened their eyes, he opened their eyes to the scriptures. This is one of the coolest things about being a Christian, honestly, is that God does that. He takes this book that, that makes no sense to the person who doesn't know God, and then He opens their eyes to the truth. Because I said this earlier, the Word is living. Before I came to Christ, this book made no sense to me. I had no desire to know anything in it. But when I came to Christ, God began to reveal Himself to me in His Word. He opened the Word to me, and I began to learn of this Lord and this Savior, this God through His Word, He opened the Scriptures to me. And that is something I encourage you, believers in here, when you come to the Word, when you read, don't let it just be an academic pursuit. Don't let it just be a box that you check off. Come to the Lord and say, God, would You open my eyes to hear from You today? I say open my eyes to hear, right? But it's open our hearts. Open our ears. Allow us to see Wonderful things in your word. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your word. And Jesus did that for them, and Jesus is still doing that for us today. So he opened their eyes to, to recognize these things, and he said it was necessary. It was necessary, one, that the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill the word, and he did so perfectly. Jesus fulfilled prophecy, things that that were foretold a long time ago had to happen. Not one Word of God will fall to the ground ever. You understand that? And so Jesus said it was necessary that I fulfill this. It was necessary that Jesus would die for the sins of men and women. It was necessary. And that is the Gospel. That's the good news, folks, is that, well, it starts with bad news. The bad news is is that we're not good people. And we know that. And that we have to answer to a good God for our badness, for our bad deeds, for our wrong decisions, for our, our guilt, our transgressions. We have to answer for that. We're accountable to Him. That's the bad news. Well, the good news is, is that Jesus came and he, he answered on our behalf when He died on the cross. 
He was accountable to God for our sins. He took our sins upon Himself and He, and he paid that price, as it were, for us. But it didn't just stop there. He rose from the grave. And this is why I want to take just a minute to talk about why that is so important. Why the resurrection is so critical to the Christian, to the believer. One, it demonstrates that when Jesus died, He truly was innocent. He truly was innocent. Because if He had have died and stayed that way, you could just as easily say He was a guilty person just like the rest of us. And He had to pay for His own sins. But He truly was innocent. And so He rose from the grave proving that God truly accepted His sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross truly was acceptable to the Father. And He overcame the grave. He overcame death. He rose again proving that He was truly innocent. He was truly the Son of God. And that His sacrifice was truly pleasing and acceptable to God. And that His claims, all of them, were truth. He was not a liar. He was not deranged. He was not a manipulator, a con artist. He was none of that. It was all the truth. And He proved it by rising again from the grave. Validating, verifying every claim that He made to be truth. Demonstrating that He indeed has power over the grave. He could not be held. Jesus said, I give my life away, no one takes it from me, and I take my life back. And He rose again from the grave demonstrating that He had power. And then lastly, He is the first fruit. The Scriptures talk about that. Because Jesus lives, we now have confidence that we too shall live. Because Jesus was the first one to rise again from the grave, we too shall rise again from the grave. And that is the glorious news of the Gospel. That is the glorious reality of the resurrection. Because He lives, we too shall live. That is the wonderful news of the resurrection. And that is what that demonstrates. So that is why it was necessary that He die for the sins of guilty men and women. But that is why it was necessary that He rose again from the grave. And that is what we celebrate. And honestly, we celebrate that every week. That's why we come together every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. It is not a one once a year thing for us. It's an everyday kind of thing for us. Every day we wake up and we thank God for the resurrection. Every Sunday we come together as a body of believers and we thank God for the resurrection. And then with one day in particular we come together and we really celebrate and we thank God for the resurrection. That is the foundation of our faith. All right, well verse 49 Jesus speaking to the disciples here, He said, Behold, I send the promise of My Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up His hands and blessed them. Alright, so now Jesus gives them a command. He says, Go back and wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. You are going to be clothed with power from on high. And this is a promise that was given... And we see it in Acts chapter 1. I'll read that to you. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and 8. It says, "...and being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is a promise that Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, wait. When He goes, He's going to send the Helper. The Holy Spirit would come. And that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would be empowered to be His witnesses. They would be clothed with power from on high. And we know that's exactly what happened. That did take place. And we see that happen in Acts chapter 2. And that is available to the Christian. That is available to the believer. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you are saved. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are born again. That is the difference, folks. There's, there, you can say that you believe these things to be true. You can say, I believe that Jesus existed. Yeah. You can even say that you believe that He died and rose again. But you have to put your faith, like you have to put your trust in that. You have to surrender yourself to that. You have to turn away from the, the old life and you have to turn to Christ and bow the knee to Him as Lord and He will fill you with His Holy Spirit. And you will be born again. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. You must be born again. And that's what that means, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be regenerated, that's the word that we use, and to be born from above, literally. And that is available to us. And then God continues to pour His Holy Spirit out upon us as we are serving Him, as we are living for the Lord, as we are walking through this life seeking to be pleasing to Him and to do His will. We cry out, O God, fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Pour Your Spirit out upon us. And He does that. That's available to you, believer. If you need that, if you need that touch from the Lord, that encouragement, that power, cry out that God would fill you afresh with His Holy Spirit. This was a promise that He gave the disciples and it happened. Alright, and then now, close with this, verse 51. Now it came to pass while He blessed them that He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So Jesus... He ascended into heaven where He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. The Lord is up there in heaven and He will return one day. And He will return as the conquering King. And we are living here now looking forward to His return. And we are living for Him. We are praising Him. That's just what they were doing. They went on praising the Lord, serving Him, blessing His name. And we do the same thing. And we are waiting for His glorious return. Amen? It's not, it didn't just stop with the resurrection either. Jesus, you understand, He's not still in the manger. You know that, right? And He's not still on the cross. Some people seem to still think that He is. He's not in the grave. We know that. He is risen. And He has ascended to the right hand of God in glory on high. But you know what? He's coming back. The Lord will return to judge and righteousness. And we want to be right before Him. We want to be people who are ready for His return. We want to be people that won't be found ashamed or shocked or surprised. We want to be people who are longing for the Lord's return. No greater excitement, no greater joy than that. And so I say with that, let's close with worship. We'll have the worship team come on up. And let's honor the Lord. Remember what I said in the beginning of this message. 
We want to give the Lord what He deserves. We're going to give Him praise. We're going to give Him our lives. And if you want to put your trust in Christ, you can do that right now in your seat. If you don't know what that means, if you have more questions, I want to encourage you to come up after the service, after we close. There will be a few of us up front. We'll talk to you about that, what that means. And we'll, we'll help you in that regard. So, let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for the resurrection and everything that that demonstrated. And I thank You, Lord, that many of us in this room have been forever changed because of it, Lord. And so I pray that You would be honored. Receive glory. You are the living God who has given us a living hope. And You speak to us through Your living Word. And we live because You live. And we celebrate today because of that. Receive our worship, Lord. Receive our praise. May it arise to the heavens as a sweet-smelling aroma, God. Take our lives, Lord, and use them for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.